Good morning, Mosaic. It's wonderful to uh, have this opportunity to be with you again on this Sunday to worship together. Um, it becomes that much sweeter after we had time together on Tuesday where about 26 people showed up for our Begin Again Lenten study. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I'm really grateful that to all of you who showed up. I want folks who weren't able to come to know there's still room for you. If you haven't received the first portion of our study guide, please contact the office and we'll get that to you. Um, and hmm, we'll just be together in the course of study, in our time in our affinity groups. And then at the end, when we have a couple of sessions where we're gonna be able to talk together um, about these things and enter into Easter's renewal for us as a community, as part of the nation, um, who is looking to begin again uh, to heal the racial divides. So I wanna bless you today and thank you again. Enjoy the service and Welcome to Mosaic Community Church. Good morning, Mosaic. This morning I have the privilege of leading us in prayer. One of my favorite ways to pray is to use the Psalms. So I'm going to be praying from Psalm 103, uh, using verses 1 through 12 as the basis for praying. The Lord's wonderful love. With all our hearts, God, we praise you. We praise your name with all that we are. We praise your holy name with all of our hearts. Let's praise the Lord. Let's never forget his kindness, his goodness, his love. Lord, you forgive all of our sins. You heal us when we're sick. You protect us from death. Your kindness and love are a crown on our heads. Each day that we live, you provide for our needs and give us the strength of a young eagle. Lord, we just grieve for all that are mistreated. We pray, Lord God, that you will bring justice. Lord, you have been teaching your law to Moses and to Israel and to your church throughout all of history. Father, I pray that you would show us as you showed Israel what you can do and what we can do. Lord, we thank you for your mercy, for your kindness and your patience and your love that never fails. Father, give us faith to see that. Lord, I thank you that you're not always angry, that you don't point out our sins, that you don't desire to punish us as our sins deserve. How great is God's love for all who worship him greater than the distance between heaven and earth. How far has the Lord taken our sins from us, farther than the distance from east to west? Lord God, we just thank you for your redemption. We thank you for the privilege and the joy of worshiping you. And Father, I pray you'd bless our time of worship today. And I pray that you would give us knowledge and strength, Lord, to be your hands and feet to bring justice. In Jesus' name, amen.
Mosaic friends, hello Mosaic children and Mosaic families. It's wonderful to be with you and um, for today's children's moment, I wanted to give you something very practical, something you can actually do at home. So for the past two months, all of the children at Mosaic have been learning about Jesus. We've been learning about what makes him so wonderful. We've been learning about Jesus as a healer. We learned stories of how Jesus opened the eyes of the blind and how he raised people from the dead and made sick people well. We've also been learning about Jesus as a teacher and how crowds of people would come to hear Jesus teach. We've also been learning about how much Jesus loves to pray, not only so he can connect with his Father God, but because he loves us and he prays for us and he prays for his special friends. We've also been learning about Jesus and how much he loves children and how he saw children as those who can inherit the kingdom of heaven so easily and how we all have to become like children in order to inherit the kingdom of God. So today, I'm going to be talking about Jesus as a peace giver. So Jesus, we can call upon Jesus' name whenever we're feeling like we need peace in our lives or in our hearts. Maybe we're feeling sad. Maybe there's so much going on in our lives. It feels very busy and noisy outside and in our heads. And we need to invite the peaceful presence of Jesus. So here is something very practical that Mosaic kids, you can also do, and grown-ups you can do. And it's deeply breathing in through our noses and out of our mouths. And by doing that, we can invite the peaceful presence of Jesus into our spaces and into our hearts. So I'm going to guide you on how to do that, and I'm going to the chime. And the kids at Mosaic know this chime very well because we use it during our classes. We always ring it just a little bit to wake it up and invite it. And every time I strike it and you hear the chime, I invite you to take a deep breath in through your nose like this. And then breathe out of your mouth like this. And as you breathe in through your nose, you can say to yourself, come Lord Jesus, come. Now, what should you do with your bodies? You can sit up straight. Your shoulders are back. And your, um, you can imagine a string pulling your head and spine up straight. Or you could be laying down. What should you do with your eyes? You can keep them open or you can close them. And with your hands, you can pull them together. You can place them over your heart space or you can gently put them on your laps, whatever feels good in your body. So I'm going to ring the uh, chime three times and we're going to invite the peaceful presence of Jesus right here in our own spaces and in our own hearts. 
Remember to breathe in deeply through your nose and out your mouth and quietly say to yourself, come Lord Jesus, come. You don't need any special equipment to do this at home. You just need your breath, and you always have your breath with you. So I hope and pray that everyone is doing well. May the light, love, and peace of Jesus be with you in the coming week. Bye, everyone. A reading from Mark 9, 30 to 37 from the New Living Translation. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve disciples over, and said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I just thank you for your marvelous redemption. Father, I just thank you that among our congregation and among your church, Lord, there's just so many wonderful stories of people who felt lost and broken and discarded and not good enough. And to each one of those people, you say, I see you, I love you, I know everything about you, and I love you. And, and Lord, that you, you died for us. You made our redemption possible. I thank you for the sweetness of your redemption. And Father, I pray today that you would recall for each of us, the sweetness that when we realize what you've done for us and how much you love us. And Father, I pray that everyone who calls upon your name, when they remember the sweetness of that redemption, that they would remember that your redemption is for all mankind or all humankind, Lord. That you know each one of us that you see each one of us as unique and different and you love that and you love that in us god 
And we should do no less. We should strive to do no less than to love those that you have loved. And so, Lord, I just, I pray today that your redemption would be a reality for us, both in our daily lives, to, for us to remember that you have come to restore what has been stolen, what has been broken, that you, um, and that you desire us to do that for other people, to be your hands and feet and to share your love and your redemption and not just, not just in, a, in, a, in a speech or you know, a quick prayer, but to really share um, in that work of redemption, Lord. And I pray that you would guide us and direct us through this Lenten season, Lenten season as we seek um, to find ha- how, Lord, we can serve you better, that you would inspire us, that you would bless our time of study, that you would bring healing, and that you would bring hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. We continue uh, with our theme, The Notorious JC. Today we are speaking of his weakness and strength. Jesus is extending invitations to vulnerability. It's one of the reasons I believe he's notorious. The real Jesus is anyway. He's known for this particular quality that many of us view as bad, as something not good. We don't want to be vulnerable. But Jesus lives in vulnerability and invites us to join him in it. How do I know this? Um, How do I know that he has this trait? Well, scripture tells me some basic things. That Jesus is the word. That by the word, um, this Jesus who actually materialized in flesh and blood and came to live with us. That all things were made by him and without him nothing was made that exists. So we have this pretty powerful, powerful man on the seat, right? Um, He's God and he's the second person of the Trinity. Uh, And so he has all this power. But yet, I know he came in vulnerability. That he, again, exists, lives in vulnerability, and invites us to vulnerability. Let me ask you this. Has Jesus ever forced you to do anything? For those of us who are old enough to remember Flip Wilson, he was a comedian who had a show uh, that used to come on TV. He had this character named Geraldine who would dress up uh, as and, and talk about how the devil made him do some mischievous thing, right? Um, it was funny back then in the day. It's funny now if you go watch it. Um, and so we're familiar with people who would say, you know, the devil made me do this, the devil made me do that. The devil, you know, somehow took over and controlled me and was able to do things. You know, we have all these movies on being possessed and this and that and the other. And here we have this powerful man, Jesus, in the earth who could do incredible things. And again, I ask, did that incredible man then force anybody to do anything? And does he force you and me to do anything now? Now, my answer is 
I, he's never forced me to do anything. Um, now this is where I've heard ministers in the past talk about how Jesus is too much of a gentleman to force himself on anyone. And there are a bunch of, it, that's true, and there are a bunch of connotations that go with that that I, I don't want to get into and I don't like thinking of it that way. I prefer thinking of it this way. Jesus was also very human, truly human. He was so established in his relationship as a human being with God that forcing people to do anything wasn't his style. He was so human, so respectful of how God designed us to reflect God's collective image that he did not separate himself from that relationship, that way of existing and being together. He modeled it for us, showed us that that was the way, not force. Now, can you imagine being the most powerful person on the face of the earth? You can make trees dry up from the roots. You can calm storms. You can stand up against evil and win. You can be killed on a cross and then take your life back. Can you imagine someone that powerful not using their power to force others to be subject to them, to bend the knee to them? to uh, make them do things, do anything they wanted them to do. But that's not our Jesus. No, he asks, he nudges, he conjoles, he works to persuade us by engaging us through the scripture, through the Holy Spirit, to help us understand the way, the way he's trying to show us to live, the way that he's trying to instruct us in living. He wants us to understand why we should walk in the way. Now that's persuasion. That's not manipulation to trick us into following him. It's not the stuff that even the church offers, like a free ticket to heaven or, or, or a costly ticket to heaven. You, if you, you have to follow all the dictates of the church, the this, the that, to get the ticket to ride. That's not his style. It just isn't. And get this, he doesn't feel bad or judged by the other members of the Trinity if we don't do what he says. He doesn't feel like less in his image with them if we don't follow him. He doesn't feel like God, the other members of the Trinity, is going to judge him because we didn't act right. No, we get wrapped up in that foolishness, not Jesus. That's not the example that he has been to us. He's notorious. He's notorious to us because we don't like his strength being displayed in weakness, in his vulnerability. To a certain extent in the church, throughout history, we haven't liked that. And so we felt like we needed to act in ways that show strength, what we think is strength and power and force situations, force our will upon others in ways that Jesus never did then and won't do now. He's famous 
for this unfavorable characteristic of vulnerability. He's notorious. He has weak strength. And we, quite often, don't like that. When we're honest with ourselves. We don't want to look at that side of Jesus. We want to look at that side when it comes to us individually. Or maybe our tribe, our crew. So that we know there's some grace for us. But when we're dealing with other people. When we can't get people. We can't persuade people. We don't like that. And so we try to force them. And we won't deal with the truth of. We can't persuade people to follow the way. Because we're not. So why should they? If you remember during Advent, I spoke uh, of the babe Jesus, who came to us wrapped in vulnerability. Last week, I spoke of the Jesus who was entering into ministry and the way in which he entered in the wilderness, the desert, being uh, fasting throughout that time period, being weak, being vulnerable. And that this was his introduction to his time, his season of active ministry in vulnerability. Powerful beyond belief. But he had no super or extraordinary, extraordinary human power. He had the power that was given to all humanity. And he exercised it beautifully and brilliantly the power of vulnerability again he began life in vulnerability entered ministry in vulnerability carried out his purpose his mission in vulnerability he lived his life in vulnerability he never forced anything on anyone Instead, he related to people, he talked to people, he demonstrated what he was saying, he cared, he rescued, he encouraged, he told people, us, about our happy little arrogant selves. And then he brought us close to him to learn another way. And yeah, there was the time he beat the folks out of the temple. Make not my father's house a den of thieves. That did happen. You say, well, maybe that was force. That's not the force of making them. He couldn't make them change their minds. He couldn't make them stop. He, he, he disrupted the, uh, the, the usury going on in the temple that day. But they were back later to do it again. He did not force them. He could not force them to follow the way. He couldn't do it then. He doesn't do it now. We like the idea of a God who comes in and, 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 and crushes things. We want our enemies wrapped up. We want people to go to hell because they are evil and horrible. The, the Dahmers of the world and all of that. And so we want that separation. And he came to unite. We think we're justified. We want separation of the races. We want separation from the poor. We want separation from all kinds of people thinking that somehow that will liberate us that will give us peace that that will give us power but it doesn't that that will give us freedom but it doesn't listen in the Beatitudes that 
is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is often quoted saying things like, you heard it said, I talked about this last week. And he talks about the law, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, and other things. And he, he, he went further than just stating the law. He said, you heard it's been said, but I'm going to tell you this. Because he wanted to help us understand the deeper meaning behind the law. Not just be people who follow it blindly, but that there was importance there. There was something we needed to understand that would help us in living this life together and in living in vulnerability like he did. He said, look, if you are even angry with your siblings and call your sibling out of their name, call them an idiot, you are in danger of hellfires. Well, what does hellfires represent? It represents the separation. You're in danger of separating yourself. And that separation is an experience of hell. Please understand, we are like God. And there would be no God if Jesus separated himself from the parent and the spirit. And we cannot truly exist as a full and faithful and fulfilling humanity, separating ourselves from one another. I can't make you agree with that. You have the right to your agency. But we can speak the words of truth together. We are better together than we are apart. There is something beautiful when people come together is something that encourages the spirit and life and the creativity amongst us. We look out at the earth and there are some incredible things that we have done as a people. There are awful things that we have done as a people. And you know if we look really deep at them we can note where the separation is and how it's brought an experience of hell to the earth. Climate change is an experience of hell. Separating. We are separated from creation. When we were called to help it be all it could be. To help fulfill its destiny. We use it as if it's subjugated a servant to us. That's not Jesus' way. We get focused... As, a, as Christians in our theology, in our evangelism, with calling people to locations. We get wrapped up in concerns about whether people are going to hell or going, or going to hell or going to heaven. When uh, Jesus has been talking to us about how we exist, how we experience life, and life more abundantly. That if we get hooked up into life, there will be no death. And if we follow Jesus' ways, heaven touches earth. Don't kill your sibling. If you were to kill your sibling, you'd be separated from them in death. Don't be angry with your sibling so much that you Say words that end relationship. That's a kind of death. It separates us. Look, the human Jesus says to 
his fellow human beings. Don't do stuff that separates us from each other. And we think, well, if I, you know, am vulnerable, people calling me outside my name, people doing this, people doing that to me. If I look am vulnerable, I'll look weak. And for some of us, there's nothing worse than looking, appearing to be weak. We think weakness will open the door to people running all over us. But the only way we let folks run all over us or we participate in killing our siblings is when we separate ourselves from them. When you look through the mess in the history books, you'll see where we separated from each other. The church has done a whole lot of killing, literally and figuratively. We deal in death every day. Let's look at some scripture. The notorious JC was hanging with his peers, his buddies, his boys, in Mark 8, 7 through 28. And he said, who do people say that I am? And they, and they answered him, you know, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah or some other prophet. And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter was the one that jumped to answer this. You are the Christ, it says in Mark's gospel. And Peter was declaring, you are the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus said, don't tell anybody that. And he began to teach them, to help them understand about his subversive nature. He was the one they were waiting for, the one that they were waiting for to defeat Rome and to help reestablish Israel as a central power in the world. That's what they were waiting for. So much so, you know, he was trying to explain to them. It was that, that, that image of the Messiah was so deeply in them. He needed them to understand that that wasn't his way. Listen, he told them, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by the religious leaders. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise again three days later. He told them the story of what would happen to him. Now, it seems like all Peter seemed to hear was suffer, rejected, die. His mind couldn't grasp that rise again in three days thing. And Peter went and grabbed his boy. Hearing that, you know, in the crowd, that wasn't representative of what they were saying, who this was. This is the Messiah. He's going to lead us to freedom. So Peter pulled Jesus aside um, to help him get himself together because folks weren't going to follow that. They were going to follow a strong man who could topple the strong man of Rome. And Jesus called Peter out. He was like, look, nah, get behind me. I I'm not about that. I think the first time I read that in Mark 8.33, I was like, dang. I was young, dang. But Peter was only trying to help. Peter was like, uh, that's not going to work. You need to like kind of retune that narrative. 
and Jesus Jesus called him out and you know Peter pulled Jesus to the side to to talk about it privately Jesus called Peter out publicly um, not to embarrass Peter but because what Peter was saying was representative of the feelings in the crowd he was in there was something that he needed to get across to Peter and to the others it was the most important lesson I think that he had to teach them they thought again he was there to establish the kingdom the way they thought it would be established through fighting and war through power and strength but Jesus sounded weak in our day we would might say that Jesus sounded like a punk and Peter was like I'm no mad I'm nobody's punk you know I, I will fight I'm not going out like that and the people were like nah mm -mm. we can't let that happen we can't you know people can can not like you and reject you all they want but we can't we won't let nobody kill you mm -mm. and Jesus told them my words stop talking <laughs> Jesus was always telling them stop talking listen here's the deal he was saying to them the kingdom will be established through vulnerability. Look, if you want to follow me, you want to be like me, you want me to be your leader, you have to pick up a cross. You have to pick up vulnerability like me. Remember how Jesus had to carry the cross to the place he would be placed upon it. He went through a city where people jeered at him and spat at him and called him all kinds of names. And he had to carry a burden as the people berated him. If you want to be like me, you got to go through that. This most powerful man on the face of the earth, the most incredible person in the world, who could have called angels to defend him, would not because it would separate him from the rest of humanity. He said, if you want life, you've got to lose the one you got, the way you think about things, how you've conceptualized the world, your worldview, and you've got to pick up a different one. He said, if anybody wants life, you've got to let this one go, lose this one for the sake of unity. I'm giving mine for the sake of unity. I need you to give yours. And when we give our lives, it will save our lives. Then separation won't take us and control us. Then we won't experience what it means to be alone and the horrors that come when we're isolated from one another. Because what profit is there in gaining the whole world but forfeiting your relationships in the kingdom? What good is being alone with stuff, with power, with material goods? Is it worth an existence outside of being connected, belonging with God and with others? He said, whosoever is ashamed of me. And this is about Peter pulling him aside and saying, 
you know, that he was being weak, being a punk. Yes, my interpretation. But this was about Peter pulling him aside and correcting the things he was saying. He said, whosoever is ashamed of me, in my words, is being unfaithful to God and humanity. He called them adulterous. You're being adulterous. You're being unfaithful to us. Peter knew that he and the others found vulnerability shameful. He knew that Jesus was risking his following by talking about such things. Even that core group of people who surrounded them. And Jesus knew it. He said, listen, I'm going to teach you to don't tell everybody yet. I need you to understand it right now. He needed them to understand that the kingdom of God is made possible by his being vulnerable and offering his blood. And they needed to understand. And we need to understand that it's held together by our being vulnerable and offering our blood, our lives for it. Folks go looking for radical Christianity. I think, uh, even though I don't like the term Christianity, I think people should call us Christians. We should walk around calling ourselves that. But people look, you know, are looking for radical Christianity. I think that they're actually looking or in search of our individual and collective humanity. Because it's radical to be human. It's radical to be humane. It's radical in this world to lead with your vulnerability. In America, we've been, because we've rejected vulnerability, we've been wandering the desert of separation. For hundreds, if not thousands, as a world, thousands of years. But we wander in that desert and have been tempted of Satan like Jesus was tempted of Satan. But our answers aren't righteous answers. Remember, righteousness is a word that is related to relationship. You only are righteous in relationship to other people. We haven't given the righteous answers. We haven't given answers that sustain our collective existence, our relationship with one another. Did you know that at CPAC this weekend, they erected a golden statue of Trump? I know I'm injecting that in here, but Lord help us. In our world, we make golden statues and worship people who are separating us from one another. So, as Jesus continues in ministry, he continues to try to explain this thing about vulnerability to his disciples. Peter didn't get it. We know he didn't because when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they were about to take Jesus and arrest him, Jesus, I mean, uh, Peter pulled his sword and cut off one of the soldier's ears. He didn't get the lesson. It wasn't through might. It wasn't through the perceptions of power. It was in, through Jesus' weakness. We try to force 
Christianity. We try to force our way. We try to force the country to follow this particular way. We try to enact laws and shame and all kinds of things to make people respond. And in even trying to make people respond in the ways we want, we want them to, we create a hierarchy of them and us, and then we have to exert power to keep them in line. When Jesus wants us to understand the way, it's given to us to understand. When you see the word mystery in scripture, we think, oh yeah, there's this mysterious and mysterious. When you see the word mysterious in the New Testament, it's accompanied with words that talk about the unveiling of mystery. God doesn't want to keep us in, dark, in the dark. God wants us to know and to understand. So God unveils the mystery to us if we're open to receive it. And this, this is a most precious mystery. Vulnerability is powerful. We try to cut folks, we try to cut off the humanity of others because they don't represent how we want Christians to be represented. They aren't male, they aren't white, they aren't straight, they aren't wealthy, they aren't able-bodied. So this, they don't represent the level of human that we think should represent Jesus in the earth. We only want to show them this image. Except Jesus is not in the fellowship of the image, the figurative idol we've created. He's not in the image. He's not into force. He won't force himself. An example of this. Just him continuing to try to, to help his disciples and us, his current disciples, understand. Mark 9, 30 through 37. The disciples were fighting about who would be first in the kingdom. You know the kind of stuff we're still fighting over. Who's the first race, the white supremacist race? Who's the first person? Men are better than women. Who the battling of women amongst ourselves and all the battles that we have, some trying to rise to the top and be first. His disciples were having one of those battles. Who would be first? Who would reign at Jesus' side in the kingdom? And Jesus heard them and he asked them about it. Now they knew it was wrong. How do we know that? Because they got quiet. They stopped talking when Jesus when Jesus turned to them and, and asked, What's up? What y'all talking about? Nothing. Nope. It got real. And they got real quiet. Jesus went over to some children who were out. Um, and he sat down amongst them. Now, in our times we see that and we think, oh, that's really cool that Jesus did that. He's spending time with kids. and uh, But folks, listen, it was cooler than we understand from our perspective. Children at that time represented the unseen and the unvalued in their times. They had no power. They were, not, they were vulnerable to every whim and exercise of evil. Um, and in this discussion of who would be the greatest Jesus sat himself down among the most vulnerable to explain again to his boys. Whoever receives one of these vulnerable nobodies in my name 
receives me. Whoever joins me in reuniting the family is in the family. Now, John was getting it, but he needed to test the boundaries of, of, of this thing. So, um, so he was like, wait, there, there's this guy that we saw who was casting out demons in your name. Now, we told him uh, to stop. Because he wasn't a part of us. He wasn't a part of our tribe. Our group of special humans. And Jesus was like, no, don't do that. Look, there is no person who's trying to work miracles like me. Healing humanity's separation. That can speak evil of me. Because, listen, if he isn't against us, he's for us. Now that, I, I think we've skipped reading that line somewhere. If the dude isn't for us, isn't against us, he's for us. Somewhere as a church, we've missed out on that and we condemn so much. We're like them. We told them, stop. You're not one of us. You ain't got no right to do that. God is like, let good prevail. Whoever's fighting injustice, whoever is fighting Jesus, I mean fighting injustice and evil, they're on my side. And he went on to say, Whosoever you give water to, a cup of water, you extend life to. If you extend life to someone who's considered a nothing and a nobody because of my influence, that's a good thing. And it will be rewarded. But anybody who offends, those who are considered nothing and nobodies in this world, it would be better that... They separate themselves from us fast. Now here is this man who said he's come to reunite us, saying it would be better if they did a quick separation. How do I know it's a quick separation? He said because it would be better for them to put a millstone around their neck and jump in the water, something that will take them to the bottom and, and definitely make them die. They're going to die because they can't get back up. That's Mark 8, 38 through 42. I thought that was important to add. It would be better that they cease to exist on the earth than to offend the nothings and the nobodies in the world, to cause further separation. It would be better that they cease that from separating us who are trying to get united. The notorious JC, the one with the unfavorable quality of vulnerability, hanging out with the vulnerable encouraging the rest of us to join him with them in vulnerability. All our lives we've been trying to shore up ourselves to make sure we're not vulnerable on any side, that there aren't any visible weaknesses in our facade. And here is the notorious JC in the midst of his subversive ways calling us out. If we be like him, we'll help destroy the way this old world is now. And we'll join him in rebuilding a world that looks like the relationship he has with his parent and with the spirit. If we join him, we'll end the ways of separation 
and we'll be a collective community living in peace and love and harmony and in vulnerability naked and not ashamed. I want that. You want that? So I guess you and I, we have to take on the ways of the notorious JC too. The people in Acts, they watched these people who were following Jesus. And because of the way they lived their lives, because of the things they did, they called their names Christian. I don't like Christianity because it's us calling our name Christian. And we've attached a whole lot of stuff that ain't got nothing to do with Jesus to it. I think it's time that we follow Jesus in the way. And let the world give us a new name for the way we follow him the way we represent Him, the way we're calling all of us to life and unity and not be so attached to this thing called Christian anymore so we can get attached to Jesus, the way He lived, the way He loved, the way He encouraged, the power He exuded in really being human and knowing he is free. May God bless you today. Amen.
Mosaic, I hope you've been blessed uh, by our service. And I would just like to close with this short uh, benediction. I pray that you will be grateful to God for letting you have part in what he has promised his people in the kingdom of light. God rescued us from the dark power of Satan and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son who forgives our sins and sets us free. Lord God, I just pray that, um, yeah, these words would be an encouragement, Lord, that we would understand that we are set free in you. Lord and John, it says that you were the light that came into the darkness and the darkness could not overcome the light. And we live in the midst of that darkness now. But our desire is to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I pray that, uh, yeah, Lord, we would be encouraged by this and uh, that we would be able to bring more of your kingdom to, to West Philly and to our city. I pray you bless everyone this week. Um, may we have a rich and rewarding time of Lenten study of, of uh, reading the book and interacting with each other and just um, enjoying you. In Jesus' name, amen.